What's shaking, everyone? My name is Colin, and welcome to the Flight Attendant Forum, a podcast for crew, travel gurus, or anyone enamored with aviation. Possess a passion to see the world, share your stories, secrets, and resources here, and let your voice be heard. Welcome on board. Welcome back to the Flight Attendant Forum. My name is Colin. I am your host. This is Chapter 10 of the Flight Attendant Forum. It's so great to have all of you here. If you are new, welcome. If you are returning, welcome back. Um, I cannot thank each and every one of you enough, as always, who have downloaded and listened to the Flight Attendant Forum up until this point. If I could individually thank all of you, I would, but this is the best platform I have to do so. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, and thank you. Uh, This is Chapter 10 of the Flight Attendant Forum. Uh, I came to you from the Museum of Flight with Ted Hutter, who is the Head of Public Relations and Promotions Manager of the Museum of Flight out uh, in Seattle, Washington, just tucked away in the corner of the Boeing field where they do a lot of airplane testing. Um, I saw a couple 777-9Xs that were sitting there with the folded wingtips, so it's kind of cool to see that. You always see pictures and videos of it online, but it's kind of cool to see it in person. Um, Ted was very gracious to have me walk throughout the museum, sit down with me, and have a great conversation about his life, how he got into flying, and how he got involved in the museum as well. So uh, he really uh, took me under his wing. We walked around, checked out a few exhibits, and uh, it was really, really cool. I'd never been there before. So if you're an aviation geek or you're a travel enthusiast or anyone who likes airplanes or anything about flight, cannot recommend you enough to get out to the Museum of Flight out in Seattle, Washington, and uh, check out all they have to see. Uh, They have a Concorde. They have a 787. They have the very first 747 ever built in addition to a lot of other aircraft that are so unique in their own way. And I think it's really cool that the Museum of Flight is able to have these aircraft there for so many to see, um, along with all sorts of other fun events they do with the community out in Seattle. So that is what I have for you today as Chapter 10 of the Flight Attendant Forum. So by all means, uh, hope you enjoy it. And again, if you are new to the show, you can follow the show on Instagram. It's at underscore FA Forum, F-A-F-O-R-U-M. Uh, any communication as far as uh, topics or questions or if you want to be on the show, please reach out to me there, uh, DM me, or comment on any of the posts. Uh, it would be great to have so many of you on there. Um, so again, I look forward to doing some giveaways uh, later this year into the holiday season and doing some interactive stuff on the uh, social media page or on the Instagram page, rather. So uh, please give me a follow and uh, you know check it out and stay up to date with what I'm doing, where I'm at, and all things related to the show. And I hope you're having a great day. Have a great rest of your week. And uh, please, by all means, enjoy today's episode. And as always, we'll talk to you soon. Mr. Ted Hunter has been so gracious enough to allow me to interview him on the Flight Attendant Forum today. And Ted, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome. Thanks. (laughs) How's that intro? Glad to meet you. Uh, One thing, it's Hutter, no N. Oh, I'm sorry. Hutter. I apologize. I botched, botched the last name right out the gate there. But everything else was perfect. Excellent. So I guess kind of just talk to me about uh, your role here at the museum and um, how long you've been involved and kind of your background. Okay. Uh, well, I've, I've been at the Museum of Flight for over 15 years now. Uh, was in Southern California before that in various ways in aviation. I've been a pilot for, for most of my life now. Uh, I worked for NASA, mostly in NASA aeronautics and aeronautics education for 10 years down in Southern California at NASA Armstrong. Um, aviation and space flight are big deals to me. Um, so working here at the museum, it's always a good fit. I meet an amazing, 
assortment of people involved in aviation and space. I bet. Now, how did you get interested into a career in aviation, and how did you get started flying? In some ways, my story is pretty common. You know, I had a dad that had an interest in aviation, and he was a pilot when he was younger. So his interest stayed with him. That transferred to me for as far back as I can remember. So I kind of grew up with it. Yeah. But um, but it, it took hold. So I loved it. And I knew from the very beginning, as long as I can remember, that, okay, someday I'm going to be a pilot. Yeah. And, you know, aviation and flying is just a, a part of who I am. It was just born inside you, more or less. And I think so. You would somehow be flying the skies one way or another, right? Yeah, right. Always been looking up at the airplanes. Yeah. Always been looking up at the sky. Yeah. You know, the clouds. What's what's the weather like today? What would it be like to fly today? Yeah. And that sort of thing. I'm definitely guilty of that, too. I feel like growing up, I, I used to take flying lessons when I was younger. So I'm definitely uh, guilty in that category of always looking up. Always, if I hear a plane, I'm always like, oh, what's that? Who is it? You know, where's it coming from? What kind of plane is it? I'll bust out the uh, radar app. And, you know, it's just a fun little, I guess, yeah. You know, Can't help aviation it. guys, they just, it's an itch they got to scratch, you know? Yeah. So what kind of aircraft uh, are you flying now and what have you flown in the past? And kind of talk about that a little bit. Well, uh, my experience as a pilot has been the smaller planes, none of the big heavies, not no airliners. Yeah. Um, so single engine land aircraft mm -hmm. and gliders, mostly. Oh, gliders, really? Turbine Very time. cool. But um, nice. really it's been... Uh, in small planes, yeah. um, I'm kind of addicted to the force of gravity in as many multiples as possible. So I, would, I, I would love imagine. aerobatics. Uh, that's that's probably my favorite type of flying. Oh, you do aerobatic flying? Right. Really? Yeah. Very cool. And uh, the plane I'm flying now, I'm part of a, a group ownership of a Kristen Eagle Two. So huh. two place aerobatic biplanes, like a two place. Pits. Oh, that's awesome, man. Um, very flies cool. as well upside down than right side up. That, that suits <laughs> that's, me. That's, <laughs> yeah. Some people can barely handle turbulence on a commercial airliner, and you're going all sorts of ways up and down, right? Yeah, we, we make our own turbulence. There you go. <laughs> what is that feeling like to, you know, to fly those biplanes and, you know, in the uh, fashion that you do? What, 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 talk about that. Well, you know, it's, it's a couple different levels, you know, where some maneuvers... If you're watching, you know, like you go to an air show. Yeah, I've never watching, been to an air show. Oh, so I guess oh, for someone, okay, for the general it. audience, for people who have or have not, um, you know, what, what, is, what is normal to expect on something that you do in terms of your performance? Okay, well, let's say, you know, you're watching a plane and he's putting it through a loop. You yeah. know, he's flying it 360 degrees straight up and back down again. And yeah. then variations of that so a roll where the the wings are rolling around completely and that can be done once or several times in succession and then everything else is pretty much a, a variation on a few basics like that of okay loops and rolls and flying upside down and going vertical going um in, in other attitudes that are nor uh, very unusual, extreme yeah, right that are not normal flight of course um, and for the spectator on the ground it can look very graceful mm -hmm. or it can look just kind of wild and that's part yeah. of the impressive part of it some air show performers you're just you watch them and you, 
you're just saying, oh my gosh, how can they do that? <laughs> you know, it's yes. planes are not supposed to stay in the no, air and not. do that. Right. How does it even stop it? Um, so that's what it can look like from yeah. the outside. From yeah. the inside, from the cockpit, it, from the cockpit, it's a combination of both. Yeah, some maneuvers are just they just you can do them so they feel smooth and it just seems like you're you're creating some kind of poem in the sky you know it's it's a way of being really one with your environment in all ways um some other maneuvers i find are there's no way to get around it it's uncomfortable yeah you know you're (laughs) giving yourself a beating I'm sure you are. Yeah. (laughs) And some of those maneuvers that don't even look that harsh from the ground, you know, in the cockpit, you're pulling negative Gs or you're just hanging upside down or you're doing something that your body is telling you that is not right, but you know inside that it's it's okay. Yeah. And you're, you're maybe in control. But you're also throwing yourself around like crazy, and physically, it, it's exhausting. Um, How long does a normal uh, routine usually last, or performance? Well, you'll see most of the air shows that you see um, a solo performer. He does maybe he or she may do like a ten-minute program. It's just ten minutes, so 10 it's minutes, ultra 15, quick. Fifteen would be a long program, okay, for, for most air show performers, and. In that amount of flight time, you can bet that they're exhausted. They're gassed. Yeah. And that, that takes a lot out of you, as you were alluding to. Oh, yeah. It's, it's very, Even just a it's short little spurt like that. Physical and mental. Because so you've got to be on it the whole time, yeah. obviously, right? Yeah. And I'm nowhere near that level. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but I'll go up for, let's say, 45-minute hour flight, something like that. Yeah. And do... A, who knows how many maneuvers in that amount mm-hmm. of time. There's always space in between usually mm-hmm. to sort of catch my breath or whatever. Right. Um, and that's long enough for me. I mean, uh, generally a 45 minute flight that's pretty active and acro. Yeah. You know, I'm ready to, to call it quits for, yeah, for that you, session. You're pulling the plug yeah. on yourself. You're yeah. like, I'm good. I did and what I had And I feel to. great though. Yeah. And, Afterwards, it is, it's kind of another reward. It's like when you do anything that makes you feel really good, mm-hmm. sometimes you're so wrapped up to it, in it in the yeah. moment, yeah. You, you can't you know, take, a, take another look back at it. And when you get back on the ground, and you know, especially if there's been some clouds, and just give the sky a little definition, yeah. you could say, I was just up there. <laughs> right. Know? And it brings it back in another way. So it's kind of a payoff in a couple ways, at least for me, because there's the experience in real time. And then there's kind of another experience later on as you recall it and try to put it back into your head and absorb it. That's a very interesting way to put it. I guess I, because I know I've flirted with the idea of becoming a pilot myself. And I know people said, you've got to love flying. You've got to just be completely infatuated with the idea of, you know, flying the airplane or whatever aircraft you're behind. So the fact that you're alluding to kind of, you know, uh, experiencing different feelings both while you're in the air and on the ground, even after the performance is obviously telling for someone who is uh, fully, you know, enamored with 
flying as you are. Yeah, and but that's that's just me. Yeah, you know? uh, yeah. everyone's different, of course. And there's all kinds of ways to fly. Like mm -hmm. a lot of there's a lot of pilots who couldn't care less about doing yeah. aerobatics. Um, same way with flying gliders. Mm -hmm. um, I did that for a number of years uh, in California as well, and I love that. That but that's another another way to to fly uh, that that takes a oh sort of a an, another mental attitude yeah. different from like flying a propeller airplane or a jet airplane yeah. you know a powered aircraft there you, with with soaring and with gliders you're working with the environment you know, almost entirely that's that's how you fly now what kind of training i guess goes into aerobatics since um, we're still since we're still on that topic which is very interesting um, and what kind of planning goes into the performance for the day of an air show? Well, um, I'm not an air show performer, so yeah. I, I, I can only right. talk about what I've, I've learned from others yes. and seen and that sort of thing. Yes. Um, but, but it's very common to kind of visualize maneuvers mm -hmm. before you do them. And you'll see pilots on the ground drawing thing drawing out their maneuvers okay with their hands and their bodies so they're huh. kind of walking through it yeah and pre-visualizing yeah everything that they're going to do I once see. they get in the, the air um because if you've got that kind of a performance you're not taking breaks in between that's mm -hmm. that's not what the showmanship is all about yeah so um it's reinforcing it in your head about what's going to happen and Thinking about it's not enough because it's a three-dimensional physical and mental activity. Right, you're getting so, it from all angles. Obviously. So yeah, so walking through it and you know using hand motions and and turning your head. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Just using your hand motions and, and body language. Exactly. You know, it, it looks like a bunch of crazy people on the ground sometimes. And then you like, see it happening in there, and it's almost like a, a symphony of art taking place. Yeah, more or less, right? Yeah, because that's the way I look at it. For me, it, I I think of it. That kind of flying as as a form of art. It's the way I express myself. Yeah. You know, I'm also a visual artist. Yeah. So um, this is a way of combining what I can do in painting, mm -hmm. sculpture, and performance art, and even dance at the same time on a huge scale. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's uh, it's it's wicked awesome, man. I mean. To, I, I've never really thought into the nuts and bolts of you know aerobatics and things like that, or people who fly biplanes. In fact, you, you're able to experience that. It's pretty awesome. Very, very cool. Thanks. It's great. I love it. Um, now, in terms of the museum itself, uh, kind of what do you like? What do you do on a day-to-day -day basis, and um, how do you cultivate an experience for people who attend the museum? Well, what I do is generally uh, I'm I'm the public relations person. Yeah. So sometimes I'm the, the face or the voice of the museum if mm -hmm. somebody wants to learn about it with the media or something like that. Yeah. Um, I work with them. Um, I also work with, um, you know, our website developers and, you know, and I do a lot of writing. Yeah. Do videos, do what social media, whatever, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to get the message out there. Yeah. Uh, whenever possible, about what we do here, what's happening here, 
um, who's here, right. that sort of thing. Right. Um, so in that regard, that's all pretty fun for a person like me. It can be very awesome. creative. And as I mentioned earlier, I get to meet some of the most fantastic people that in involved in aviation and space. They come in here, right? You know, yeah, absolutely. Current ones and ones that were making history, you know, yeah. generations ago. Yeah. It's incredible. How have you seen the museum change since you've been in your role here? And, um, you know, talk about that a little bit. Okay. I think the biggest change I've seen is that when I started here in 2008, mm -hmm. it was often described as, oh, the world's biggest man cave. <laughs> I've heard that before. Okay. And that was not so far off the mark. Yeah. You know, it was... It was a place for a lot of aviation yeah. geeks, most yeah. of them guys, yeah. and yeah. they might be dragging along their girlfriend or partner. Right. With, we got to go. We got to go. Just please come with me. It'll be fun. I promise I'll make it fun. You know, you don't have to worry about it. So, exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I can see that dialogue taking place. Yep. Saw a lot of that. Once the other person was here, though, we yeah. noticed that they were liking the experience. Good. Because we, what we try to do is present the stories that yeah. are behind aviation and space flight. Right. So even if you're not interested in airplanes or spaceships, yeah. um, you might be interested in some of the people that were involved in it and mm -hmm. some of the, the drama. Right. And if nothing else, there's a lot of interesting shapes and, and bizarre um, machines here that anybody sure. is going to look at and say, what is it? I've never seen anything like that. Yeah. I mean, and, as we're sitting here in the atrium recording this, I am looking out at the, the aircraft that are in front of us. You got the, the Blackbird, right? Is that? Yeah. And you got the, uh, an OG 737 just right off, right off mm -hmm. in front of us here. And um, it's a beautiful way to showcase the pieces here. Yeah. Right. So, so 15 years ago, okay, we had probably a, most of the people that would come here had that had that attraction to the mm -hmm. subject matter, um, or they might have been tourists just yeah. trying to find something else to do while yeah. they're in Seattle. And we've been around for a long time, so we we're known as an attraction. Right. Um, I'd say we're more of an attract um, an attraction now. Mm -hmm. We're we're a better museum, but we're also yeah. a better attraction. So we've really tried to make an effort to appeal to everybody's interests. Okay. Um, you know, so it's, I'd say, more of a family destination mm -hmm. than ever before. Than what it was before. Right. Which is what you're alluding to. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so that makes up a big part of our visitors. Yeah. Uh, our, our families, um, people that are in Seattle mm -hmm. and looking learn more about Seattle yeah. because a lot of what we do here is, is uh, pertains to Boeing and Northwest aviation history. Mm -hmm. So it's a big part of this history. If that's why you're, you're in, in the area. Yeah. Um, it's a lot more fun than, um, than before. We have some great flight simulators, some of oh, the best cool. in town. Very cool. Well, they are the best. Uh, the only ones that are full motion simulators. 
Um, and then practically every gallery has got some kind of an interactive like that, whether yeah. it's a flight simulator of everything from World War One type jets to or planes to yeah. to jets to you can fly the space shuttle. Or no way. The lunar lander, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Um, and then there's play areas for kids, both inside and outside. Right. It's a huge space, as you can see. Oh, yeah. It's like this. It is massive. Almost everywhere. It's yep. 23 acres. Wow. Five buildings. So that also works in our favor most of the time in the Seattle climate. Because yep. on those rare days when it's really, really hot outside, yes. <laughs> we probably have more air-conditioned buildings than anywhere else in town. I, I would agree with that, definitely. And for the rest of the year... Well, we have more covered open spaces yeah. than any other yeah. place that you can go to with the with Absolutely. the family. Yeah. So it's it's really appealing that way. It's a nice place to go, <laughs> rain or shine. <laughs> it's a great uh, activity, no matter what yeah. the weather is outside, and obviously um, whether you're a pilot or flight attendant or you know just looking for something to do. It's a, yeah. It's a great interactive experience to come here and you know take a deep dive into. Uh, so many facets of aviation as a whole, and um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, be able to do that. Yeah. And how have you seen? I guess the, um, in terms of uh, tourism for the museum itself, how have you seen it grow over the years? And uh, would you say it's at an all-time high right now in terms of uh, visitors that you that the museum averages? Yes, I think it is. Um, you know, everybody took a horrible hit during the, the COVID period. Right. And right. Um, this museum recovered very quickly. Really? Yeah. It, Why uh, do you think that is? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. One of them is that our patrons, the people who want to come to this museum, yeah, um, probably, oh, I'd say, weren't as concerned about the the dangers of infection, you right. know, after the pandemic was gone, there mm -hmm. were still a lot of people wearing their masks in Seattle. For sure, yeah. You know, this area especially, very cautious people. Yes, <laughs> I've noticed that. <laughs> yes. Um, but I think that uh, because we are such a large space, we're so wide open, yeah. it's almost like being outside. Right. So compared to other places that people could go to. That were much more crowded and condensed. Yeah. Here, and, not so much. Yeah, and once things started opening up, you know, it they came here yeah. before they would go to like a movie theater mm -hmm. or someplace smaller. Right. Um, they, it, we just had a, a measure of safety, a feeling of safety, I think. And overall, just the sheer size of the museum itself yeah. definitely helped uh, cultivate people coming back and feeling safe, obviously, when right. they're coming out of the throngs of the pandemic, more or less, Yeah, which is great. Yeah. And it hasn't gone down. It was one of those things where we thought, okay, this is sort of the bump that everyone seems to be getting right now because people want to go out. They've been, right. <laughs> they've been at home. They've been in the neighborhood for yes. two years. They yes. just want to go somewhere. Yes. But uh, it really hasn't gone down for us. Uh, Things have just gotten gotten better they just in keep the last year. Our attendance is is better than ever. It's better than ever. Um, Very cool. We've been doing 
things that I think engage the community more. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's another difference between now and then. Yeah. For example, right now, our main exhibit, our main um, project is called Art in Flight. So instead of having, oh, let's say our usual exhibit that might be about some aspect of aviation or space. Mm -hmm. No, this is a general topic, art and flight. That's, that's, that's it. That's it. And we invited artists to interpret that. Mm. Um, not, not people that say I'm an aviation artist or I'm a space artist. No, it was, it was an open call for artists. And this is the broad theme. Very cool. And um, to to accommodate that, we have a, a gallery show, uh, a group show that uh, represents a couple dozen artists that mm -hmm. were were chosen through a juried process from outside of the Museum of Flight uh, curators. Mm -hmm. And we had an artist in residence this summer for a while who made these incredible creations. And these are people from just the community outside right. in yeah. the Seattle area we, or U.S. rather. Uh, mostly the Northwest because okay. we wanted to give it a local focus right. and, again, try to engage the community in mm -hmm. ways that we never have before. And that's really worked. We have new, well, we're actually sitting underneath one we of are indeed the new <laughs> artworks. So this is a uh, a sculpture. It's hanging. It's yes. mostly made out of fabric and handmade paper. Um, to describe it, what it is, is, these are clouds. Okay. So these are very colorful clouds woven out of fabric and paper, and long, colorful streamers uh, below them that have what these look like, these teardrop mm -hmm. things on them. And each one of those is made out of handmade paper that has seeds in them. Really? So it's seeded paper. And before the project was, was, uh, was put up, the artist was here and she would offer these colored pieces of paper to visitors mm -hmm. and they would ask and they were asked to write whatever wishes they had for the earth and the environment very um, sweet on that yeah very very sweet and you read those and they're just you know it, it breaks your heart sometimes yeah they were all attached so when this project is over she's going to take all of those yeah and uh, plant them and plant them. Oh, yeah, right. why not? They're going to be planted. They're going to go into <laughs> Absolutely. the ground and grow yes. up into, into something new. That's very cool. It's, it's, uh, it's great to hear that the that people from the community of Seattle can kind of leave their, their mark here in a place like this that attracts so many people, you know, yeah. on an on a annual basis. Yeah. Um, we had another project this summer, a mural project, where... We took the side of one of our buildings across the street from where we are now, mm -hmm. um, 125 feet by 20 feet high, and had a, a commissioned a, a mural for that. And to do most of the painting was done by volunteers out of the community. So you could sign up ahead of time. I want to help paint this mural. So the artist and, and her team had already sketched it out on the side of the building. Oh, wow. So it was it was as simple really as paint by number yeah. at that point. Yeah, so just... they had all the colors, all the paints, all the supplies, 
and there were about 200 people of all ages Whoa. out there on this one sat beautiful Saturday uh, painting like crazy. It was amazing. They probably got half of it done That's awesome, in one man. day. Very, very <laughs> cool. That's <laughs> just a, uh, it's a painting party. Yeah, More it was. Yeah, it that was, was what was going on. Party, the best kind of painting party. Yeah, I'd say so. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I talked to a lot of the people that, that did that, and they really did feel good that they were part of something bigger than themselves. Right. They're going to be right. part of the museum now. Yeah. You know, and they yeah. love that. That's, that's, that's really cool. It's awesome that you guys are doing that. Um, I think for anyone who has never been to the Museum of Flight, definitely, uh, definitely come by and check it out. Um, what is your relationship maybe not yours personally, but the museum's relationship with Boeing and how did they work hand in hand or do they at all? The Boeing relationship is, is uh, it's very close, but it's often misunderstood on the outside because okay. we are not part of Boeing, even oh, though this museum has got yeah. the biggest Boeing collection right. anywhere <laughs> and we're on Boeing field yeah. and we got Boeing buildings yes. all around us, yes. but we are not Boeing. Okay. So this is, uh, it's a... And it's always been that way. Right. Okay. It's, been, it's a separate nonprofit foundation. Okay. However, it all started by a group of mostly Boeing engineers mm. who wanted to preserve aviation history in the Northwest. Yeah. So that's what started it back in the mid-1960s. And they had something called the... Pacific Northwest Aviation Historical Society. Okay. That's what this was all called yeah. for the first almost 20 years. So it's pretty grassroots, pretty small. Definitely. Um, based over by the Space Needle in a storefront there. Oh, so that was the original and, location of yeah. it. Yeah. Interesting. And that all changed when Bill Boeing Jr., who was a big supporter from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, he saw that Boeing's original factory, the Plant One, was probably going to be thrown away by okay. the company. Okay. You know, they, it was an 80-year-old building. They didn't want it anymore. Yeah. It was falling apart. He decided to, okay, it's going to cost a million dollars, whatever, to fix this. So it was located about two miles from where we are right now. Mm -hmm on the Duwamish River. So it was put on a barge and then floated <laughs> oh, wow. upstream and then back to Boeing Field huh. at this location. And it was restored and that was that became what is now the Museum of Flight. So in the Interesting. 80s, very, very interesting backstory. Right. So and that's our largest artifact. It was a whole building. It's the Boeing original factory. Very cool. Very, very so cool. there's always been a close relationship with yeah. Boeing Company, yeah, and uh, you know all kinds of Boeing. But they don't supports. provide any funding for the museum. Not on a regular basis, okay. you know. And where does the majority of that come from in terms of keeping the museum, oh. you know, running and obviously uh, growing? Well, um, we have to sell tickets. Yeah. So, <laughs> so admission yes. uh, is a big part of it. Yes. Um, we have private events here, mm -hmm. so. If you want to rent the museum or museum spaces, yeah, that's available. That's do people do weddings here? Oh, weddings. Really? Uh, memorial services. You name uh, it. Yeah, you name it. Birthday parties, huge events. Yeah. Um, 
And some of them, the museum throws, you know, we organize yeah. ourselves. For example, uh, two weekends ago, we had a fashion show right, huh. right here, this whole floor in front of us. Yeah. Had 500 people and runways going around the Blackbird for the models. Oh, very cool. And it was a, uh, a very successful uh, Northwest fashion show. That was it. It was the Northwest fashion show that yep. came here. Very, very cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, so we do our own events like that. Right. Uh, of various sizes. We have one in, in February called Hops and Crops. It's okay. a beer tasting. Oh, doing uh, a beer tasting here. Yes. That's and awesome. It's become like a Seattle institution now. Excellent. Um, the tickets sell out literally within minutes that they go on no way. sale. All right. <laughs> yeah. So, so if, you're, if you want to come, yeah. uh, look at our website. Yes. The tickets go on sale, I think, the first week in November. Okay. And if you don't buy them that day or within the first hour, yes. you're probably out of luck. You're, yeah, you're def I would say definitely out of luck. And, uh, and that event, we cap at about 21 or 2,200 people. So it's big. And does that take place on the main floor here, or does that, or it just throughout the whole out museum? Into a lot of the galleries. Dang! So yeah. twenty-two hundred people. Yeah, and over a hundred different breweries. That's really cool. Really, yeah. really cool. Dang! Um, so in a beer drinking town like Seattle, it is a yeah. beer event. I would say so. Absolutely a, a noted beer event. <laughs> now, uh, you said before uh, we started recording, your sister was a flight attendant. Is that right. correct? Um, I guess kind of talk about her uh, her career and um, how did she enjoy. Obviously, you're speaking on her behalf, but um. okay, yeah. So I'm not going to say <laughs> too the, much yeah. because, uh, well, I guess growing you're, up, you're with a flight her. attendant, so you know yes. what you know what flight attendant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I kind of get myself into trouble. No, no, no. Of course um, not. But no, she did. She began, I think, in 1970. Yeah, and I've heard stories about how you know. That was a great time to start because that was when, you know, the, the 747s were just coming into service. Right. And they needed so many new stews yeah. that uh, the, the new ones would get those, those duties because there, yep. there was a lot more to cover. Oh, for sure. And, you know, at, at the time it was still, still kind of exclusive, you know, yeah. flying in the first class section and the upper deck lounge, right. which didn't last very long. It was much more lavish than yeah. it is now, you would say. Probably, so right? she and practically everybody else that I've talked to that was there at that time, yeah. they have just great memories. It was a great time to be a flight attendant, you know, um, you know especially for a major carrier like United. Yeah, you know, where exactly. You're flying those planes yep. and everything is the best. For sure. New. Oh yeah. Um, Absolutely. Did you ever think about doing it? Well, not really because I wanted to fly you the wanted planes. To fly. <laughs> uh, yes. I did go to one interview when I was in college. Oh, did you? And I thought, okay, this isn't going to be for me because the interview had one of those questions like, Okay, you're you're all alone. You're driving down a desert road. Yes. You come to an intersection, and you can see everywhere. There's no traffic anywhere. There's only two roads, yeah. yours and the one that crosses it. Are you going to stop at that stoplight? Or are you just going <laughs> to slowly go through? Or... Such an odd and, question. Yeah, and you know I'm. 
a college student that uh, you know had a hard time stopping at any stoplight yeah. back then, let alone one in the middle of the desert. Right. No, I think I probably would have gone right through it. Definitely, you would have blitzed right through that sucker. <laughs> so, I, I don't think that went over well with the interviewer, and I thought, no, I, I'm probably not the person they want anyway. If that's the type of question, okay, they're that's, fair. Me. that's fair. That's <laughs> fair. <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how much the uh, interview process has changed over the years. I mean, even from my perspective, you know, it's, you have a video interview, you got to sit down face to face, and then you come back for training. So it's definitely. Um, probably way different than obviously when your sister was yeah. um, was flying. How oh many, yeah, how many years did she fly for? Oh, long time. Uh, maybe what forty years? Forty years? Yeah. Wow, very impressive. Yeah, very impressive. Um, another question. Here's the difference, though. Yeah. Okay, you're looking at me now. Shaved head. Yeah. Been that way for quite a while. Yeah. Um, when I went in for that interview, it was just the opposite. Long hair. Oh, really? So one That's of the first, first questions is, <laughs> would you be willing to cut that long hair? And Ted, were you willing to cut that long hair? Yeah. <laughs> I could do that. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. You're willing to compromise? Right. That one I could do. Okay. Very good. <laughs> but it was an issue, you know, that was an important consideration for them. Do you get a lot so, of uh, flight attendants that come to visit the museum? Have you interacted with any over the years that have come here and wanted to check it out? And oh, Take oh, a deep yeah, dive into what's so. going on? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I have. Um, you probably noticed some of the, the volunteers around here, mm -hmm. usually people wearing a, a blazer and slacks. You yeah. know, those are the docents. And then we have other volunteers. So we have a lot of former flight attendants, yeah. uh, airline workers of all kinds um, that volunteer here. Do you feel a lot retire. of people, I was going to say, yeah, after people retire, do you feel that they come to the museum? It's almost like a... Not necessarily a place of respite, but a place to still be surrounded by something that they love and being able to um, portray that to people that come in and visit. Oh, definitely. Yeah. They love telling the stories, and we know that visitors appreciate that. Of course. And that's, that's one of the real qualities, one of the strengths yeah. that the museum has that yeah. we can offer. Now, would you say this is, um, in terms of, Aviation style museums like this one. This is definitely the 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 behemoth of aviation museums in the country. Oh, definitely. We're we're probably the largest independent air and space museum in the world. In the world, the only bigger ones yeah. would be you know, like national museums, like right. the National Air and Space Museum, places like that. Okay. And there aren't very many of those. Yeah. So if you want to look at something that's bigger, you have to just kind of look at acreage and then you could say well the Pima Museum in Arizona, Arizona. where they've got 2,000 planes in storage because right. it's out in the desert okay right. well that's bigger but we're we are a Smithsonian sort of institution mm -hmm. we're a Smithsonian affiliate and um, what differentiates this museum from Virtually all the other ones, all the other independent air museums, is that it does have a, a, a large curatorial presence, too. So part of the museum that the visitors don't see mm. is that one of those big buildings over there is an archive. Okay. And we have uh, people that, whose full-time job is, is taking care of um, new artifacts, 
old artifacts, um, images. We've got probably more um, photographic images than the Smithsonian at this point really? in, in this subject matter, literally millions. Um, and a lot of those include, you know, old prints, old mm -hmm. photo prints. So that's just a huge resource that we yeah. have that's used by researchers around the world. So yeah. it's a place, if you're writing a book mm -hmm. about something to do with aviation and space, this is a, a major destination to find out yeah. information yeah. Um, because we do have, you know, primary sources and aircraft manuals and mm -hmm. histories, you know, personal histories that have been donated to us. And that, that gets bigger and better every year. And I've seen that change too because as the museum, I think, has grown in stature, mm -hmm. it's more likely to get these, um, these fantastic and significant mm -hmm. collections donated mm -hmm. because people know that it'll be taken care of forever. Mm -hmm. you know? So um, when, they can't, when they can't keep their, their collection any longer or it's mm -hmm. just too valuable, they don't know what to do with it anymore, They'll um, just donate it, it to the it museum. It comes here. And Which is great. It's, right. It benefits it, it, them because they know it's going to a place where it'll be celebrated and uh, yeah. you know, focused on by attendees. And then it's great for, obviously, you to have it here and to showcase it for them. So, right. so it's a win-win for both parties. Right. So a, a, a recent example is that the archive just got done digitizing a large portion of the Bill Lear collection. Mm. So... You know, everyone knows of Learjet. That's yes, pretty Learjet, common. Very, uh, yeah, so, very common in the aviation space, private jet. Yeah. Um, right. Well, the uh, Bill Lear, who started all that, mm -hmm. is uh, was a, a fascinating person, an, an inventor of all kinds. So he invented things like the 8-track player. Huh. He invented some of the early car, very first car radio. He and another guy really? introduced back in the 1930s. Um so he's got these technological breakthroughs. He's yeah. just kind of a classic story of an inventor entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, he's just best known for really the most successful business jet. Yeah. Corporate jet. Pretty much. Um, he started the whole jet set thing, you know, the, the, the Rat Pack uh, idea yeah. in Vegas. You're going to have your Learjet. Right. You're cool. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so he passed away 20-something years ago, mm -hmm. and then his widow continued um, the company, and then eventually the archive. So also, they were great savers. Yeah. So there's documents going back to the very earliest near whatever, his, huh. his early inventions, his early companies. Yeah. And that eventually all came to the museum. So we're talking like, crates and crates and crates of all this stuff. But it all made its way here. Now it's, it's, part, all of, it's here. part of the museum, so, the history of the museum. Yeah. Very cool. And um, we just got done digitizing something like 8,000 documents that are wow. now available online. So, okay. you know, you can see some of these some of these photographs that Wicked date cool. back to those days. Yeah, you can see and, what a genius mind like right. that. Right, and, yeah. and even home movies, you know, that's what's what's fun about some of these collections is yeah. they include things like, okay, here's the eight millimeter or the 16 millimeter uh, home movie yeah. that they made. 
And now you're seeing what this person was like in real life, more right. or less. Right. You know? Something that you don't see with and uh, the usual museum exhibit, yeah, where it's like, okay, they they did this in 1942, right. and <laughs> in 1958, here's what else was introduced, and then and, that's that, and then you move on to the next exactly. thing, and you're just like, all right, cool, I've but got to do a little more. <laughs> but no, you, when you start looking at these personal collections, you see, well, here they are hanging out with Marilyn Monroe, really? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Here they are dancing at some Hollywood party, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah. Um, in terms of like, for example, like this uh, 737 that's sitting in front of us here. How did that come into the museum and how long like a piece like that, you know, or any any airplane that is uh, featured here? Um, how does the museum get that piece here? And I guess kind of who determines that? There's a number of ways that the um, that the artifacts get donated. Yeah. Uh, the 737 right here, um, that predates me. I don't know the whole story, but it was yeah. never an exhibit. So there's not much to say about that one right. um, as an artifact, except that it's a very early model. Yes. And it's been cut in half, and the uh, the cabin... Mm -hmm. has been more of an exhibit space. So okay. we, we keep seats in there yeah. and play some films and that sort of thing. So yeah. it's, it's not so much about the 737. Right. But the other ones, you know, for example, well, the Blackbird that takes center stage here in this, mm -hmm. in this gallery, um, that and like a lot of recent Air Force planes, they still belong to the Air Force. Okay. So the only way anybody can get something like that, it has to be on loan, more yeah. or less a permanent loan. I see. But it's still part of the Air Force Museum. Okay. So they own all, they own the copyrights to all that. So stuff. they they own the the Blackbird, for right. example. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, we're just the the caretakers. I see. And it's that way with most of the. The recent military planes, mm -hmm. um, you know, post World War II or post Korean War. Yeah. You know, up until that time, um, the government was still selling surplus airplanes. Pretty, that was a pretty common thing. Okay. And that's why you can see so many World War II planes all over the place, and you know, some of the 1950s jets or yeah. early 60s jets because they did end up on the on the free market. Mm. Um, but since then, it's pretty much uh, retained ownership within the Navy or the Air Force or I whomever, see. and then it's on loan. So that's that also works for us, though, because it's free. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we have to pay for shipping, which is sometimes considerable. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what does that number yeah, entail? Shipping and handling <laughs> are not included. Right. This. I would say no. That's so, funny. Yeah, it's always a good news, bad news thing. So yeah. here's here's like a, here's an airplane that's worth a couple hundred million dollars new. Right. It's yours for free, but does not include shipping and handling, <laughs> which it might cost about a million dollars. I was gonna say, yeah, what does that cost? It for some for large airplanes across the country, yeah. easily hundred thousand to plus. Wow. Yeah. Staggering numbers for sure. Yeah. But because they have to be done very carefully and their size you can imagine oh yeah yeah 100%. they have to go on the on the freeways yeah. so 
it, it's kind of an it, it's an interesting process how these trips yeah. are planned because they have to find the right roads that yep. uh, will accommodate the size definitely and uh, traffic considerations all that kind of stuff so i feel like that's something that often goes overlooked with not just uh a museum that's uh focused around aviation but museums in general is uh the business side of it you know what goes into keeping it running keeping it growing keeping it um you know all, all the little things that are involved in a place like this for example i think so many people can go you know to an aquarium or to you know a zoo and just oh look at the animals then you know you don't even think about all the work and manpower that goes into it and um i guess kind of talk about uh the the team that helps keep this place going and how many employees does this place have and um you know talk about that a little bit there's a large infrastructure here you know, yeah uh, we have about almost about 200 full-time employees wow goes up a bit in the summertime yeah of course for the tourist season yep um but that's a large staff compared to any museum, yeah. any kind of place like this in town. Yeah. Um, because you have everything from the facilities, you know, five buildings. That's mm -hmm. a lot of real estate to take care of, you know, just to keep clean. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and then 150 aircraft or so on display. Yeah. So, again, you have to make sure everything is kept, kept clean. Mm -hmm. um, and the visitor experience as well you you're spread pretty thin yeah so that we rely heavily on those docents i told you about and, right. and other volunteers so we can have a personal presence mm -hmm. virtually everywhere somebody goes yeah so there's always someone around to help out answer questions give tours things like that mm -hmm. um, so when you think about that on any given day there's maybe oh half a dozen yeah. of those volunteers in every building. Mm -hmm. So do the math. All of a sudden, you've got thirty volunteers that need to be around just to kind of cover the bases, and you got to do that every day. Yeah. And with volunteers, they're not full time. No. So they have to be covered in all sorts of wacky shifts. Mm -hmm. So to do that, we've got probably a, a pool of 700 or so volunteers. 700 volunteers. Right. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's wild. I mean, but to your point, it definitely helps keep a personalized touch for someone who is, you know, whether you've been here before or you're a first timer like myself, yeah. um, to be able to create that uh, personal experience for someone who's right. attending. Right, because, you know... Uh, salaries at any place, that's a big part of the uh, the bottom line. Yeah. So to have that much help um, yeah. as volunteer is is fantastic and really what keeps the place going, I think. Yeah. You know, we couldn't do it without so many volunteers. What are some challenges that you still kind of encounter um, on a day-to-day -day or maybe a you know month-to-month -month basis in terms of, um, you know, how you see the museum operating currently? Biggest challenge is keeping relevant. Yeah. And because that's ever changing. Right. You know, we, we need to get people in the door. We need to, to be a place that people want to come back to. Mm -hmm. And um, 
So every year, you know, we have to keep thinking about how is it going to be different this year? So yeah. How's the experience going to be different and relevant because people change, right? You know, Definitely. the demographics of this, this area have changed considerably in the 15 years I've been here. So mm -hmm. that's part of those changes that we talked about. Yeah. And I think we're, we're appealing to a broader range of people now than we did during the first 40 years of this yeah. museum, you know, than you have ever before you'd say yeah. probably. Right. Interesting. And it's important to keep tuned into that. Yeah. And so, so that's why things like this year's art and flight is mm -hmm. so important because that's really opened up the museum and the experience to um, areas and people that, you know, never would have come here, you know, from the very get go. Yeah. It was really, it was common hearing, hearing from the artists and, uh, and, and, Art pa arts patrons saying how, wow, I never would have thought of going to the Museum of Flight before. <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm here, it's pretty cool. It seems pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of people like that, and that's fine. Right. You know, everyone's got their own interests. Yeah. But it's pretty common that once you get in here, no matter who you are, you're going to find something. You're going to find something you like. Interesting and yeah. unique. Definitely. That's something it does have going for it. Yeah. There's no other place like this. Really. What is the most popular exhibit here? Probably uh, this blackbird is one of them. Yep. But because that's uh, such an extreme design. A lot of people have seen things like it, mm -hmm. you know, in movies, yeah. that sort of thing. So it's part of a popular, popular culture. Yeah. And it's a cool plane. And <laughs> so... Most people that know about airplanes mm -hmm. know something of it, and there aren't very many, so that's a cool one. And ours is a one-of-a-kind of that lineage of blackbirds What as makes well. it one-of-a-kind? Well, there are only two of them made in that version to carry this drone that's on top. Oh, I see, yep. yep. And the other one crashed. Okay. So this is the only <laughs> one in existence. This is the only one in existence right here. So it's especially coveted yeah. by, uh, by, by the museum, obviously. Yeah. And, but other ones that, that have kind of a universal appeal yeah. are the, uh, we have an Air Force One. So it's the very first jet-powered Air Force One. Mm. That one everyone likes, doesn't matter, you know, especially people from other countries. How often do you get to see an Air Force One? You don't. You know? Yeah. Or go inside one. No, and, no. You know, our bigger planes across the street, most of those you can go inside as well. So okay. You can walk in this plane that, you know, used to fly around President Eisenhower and Kennedy and Nixon and Johnson. So Very cool. There's that. There's a history to it. That's yeah. It's appealing. Yeah. Um, we have a Concorde. Oh, you another, got a Concorde? Yeah. Another one of those iconic planes yes. that everybody wants to see. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the last time I went on a Concorde, not obviously as passenger, but um, they have one at the Intrepid in New York City. Yeah. I think they have one on the uh, aircraft carrier there right. that I went on once, so that was cool, but that's awesome. I'm sure that's a yeah, big, big draw, like you were yeah, saying. Yeah, it's, it's, it always has appeal, and yeah. it, it's extremely rare. Yeah. There were only 14 in, in service. Now, where did how did you guys get the Concorde here? Okay, that goes back to that other question about how airplanes get here. Yeah. And this is an interesting one. Okay. It's fairly common, but it 
it all goes back to a handshake agreement. Uh, there was one of our, our board members, yeah. so I'm not sure when this first started, but probably in the 1970s when Concords were in service. And this Boeing person who was part of our, our board um, got to know someone with British Airways and just said, okay, when when you're done flying yeah. these Concords, yeah. how about giving one to the museum? And he's going, okay, it's a and deal. He's like, all right, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. It's all yours. It, it was a handshake agreement. That's so funny. 30 years before it was retired. As simple as that. And they made good on it. And the Concord's here. Yeah. Wow. That is, <laughs> see, that's, that's such a funny little bullet point that, you know, people would never even think. Because yeah. I'm similar to, you know, uh, like I was saying before, using an aquarium or a zoo as an example. Like, you just go there, you see the animals. You don't think about where they came from, how they got there, who was involved in getting them there. Similar yeah. here with the aircraft that are on display. Yeah. You know? Interesting. Very interesting. So there's, there's a few things like that around here where it's just, okay, when I'm done with it, yeah. You can have it. You can have it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Then it could be your turn. Sharing yeah. is caring, I guess. In, yeah. Uh, in the industry. Now, what is your favorite exhibit and, here? And along those lines, I'll yeah. say that that's another reason why we get them because people do have have a plane that is really near and dear to them. Yeah. It might be an owner pilot. Sure. And they know that they can't fly it anymore, whether they've they've gotten too old or they can't afford it anymore or something, and we get the plane because they know that it's always going to be taken well care of. Yeah. Um, so, my favorites? Well, let's see. If I wanted to go, oh, sort of high and fast, yes. I'd want the, um, the Lockheed F-104 that's hanging over here slightly out of sight. Yes. So... That was one of those zoomy airplanes for the 1950s. It's just all engine. It was made to go fast as possible, mm -hmm. as quick as possible. So why not have, why one not of those? have that? And uh, then on the other end of the spectrum, I would take the, uh, there's this old Boeing fighter from the 1920s that <coughs> was known to be super strong and super aerobatic. Mm -hmm. So, so channeling your. Uh... I would want to, yeah, I want to find out. What was so good about this plane? Yeah. It has a, a reputation. Yeah. Um, and the World War One airplanes also. Mm -hmm. I'm just fascinated with those. They're some of the oldest planes in existence. Mm -hmm. You know, they're over 100 years old now. Yeah. So to fly one of those, just to find out what it was like back then, you know, that, that experience would be something. I would say so. And that's, that's not very common. There's a few still flying. Out there, but, are there? Uh, yeah. Huh. <laughs> it's, How about it's that? It's amazing, but they there are some still flying. I I saw someone on Instagram just yeah. last week. Yeah. He was showing the first flight of this 1918 Thomas More Scout, this American fighter. Um, Very They cool. just got restored and flying again. And flying so out there, there it is over 100 years old, and it's flying again. So, uh, so in terms of um, obviously touching on aircraft that get donated here and pieces that are showcased for attendees, what goes into deciding 
um, what to remove from the museum if there if that is ever a topic that's breached. Right. Well, that's the tough one, especially now because space is at a premium. Yeah. All, we've got all this space, but it's pretty much used up. Right. Now. You're um, in max capacity, more or less. Right. So now when we do get an offer and they still keep coming on yeah. a regular basis, yeah. the, it's a tough decision because do we want to remove something? And that's not always as easy as you might think because people gave it, you know, if somebody gave it to us yeah. for it to be here forever, we're committed to that. So deaccessioning almost any artifact mm -hmm. is a, a pretty serious thing. And we have to look at it from all perspectives. Not right? something that happens regularly, no. obviously, right? Yeah. Because um, the, the, the purpose is to preserve. Right. So um, making room is not easy you know, yeah. for a lot of this material. It, yeah. it might be something that we acquired that doesn't have that personality attached. Like, let's say, a, a school gave us. Uh, yeah. Here's an example last year. University of Washington at one point gave us this wind tunnel that they had. Oh, cool. Super cool, but also huge. <laughs> yeah. And we eventually decided we don't have room to we display can't take it. it. So we found another smaller museum, mm -hmm. and they would love to have it. So that way it's still going to the museum. We can feel good about it still being preserved. It's in good hands. But, and it's not a personal donation like somebody's giving us the plane that they yeah. <laughs> they grew up with yeah. and set records with and they want it to stay here forever. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, now what airport do, so, you, do you fly out of when you go flying? Uh, Renton, which fly is to Renton? just a few miles south of here. Okay. And yeah. um, how many hours a week do you fly usually? Oh, usually not in the hours of week. It's more like maybe an hour would be a good week. An hour would be a good week? Yeah. Okay. Um, not that that's by choice. Right. I would be flying practically every day that the sun is out like yeah. today. Yeah. But uh, there are other considerations. Of course. Of course. That are probably obvious. Yeah. So. Definitely. Well, uh, thank you for taking the time to sit down with me. Very much appreciate it. Now, since I so disrespectfully botched your uh, name before, why don't you tell the audience who you are, <laughs> why they should come here, what makes this a special place? Okay. Well, my name is Ted, sometimes called Teddy Hutter. Hutter. Yes. Yes. Not Hunter, like I. So. Uh... Yeah. Hutter. Think of someone who makes makes huts. Yes. There you go. And um, yes, come to the museum of flight for a good time. Mm -hmm. Now, when what are the what are some events that you have coming up that you were touching on earlier? Oh well, let's see. We have a something called Art After Dark. That's going to be middle of October, so in another week or so. And that is a combination of a presentation of combat aircraft nose art Interesting. that our curator is presenting. All right. And this is racy nose art. This is 21 plus stuff. All right. So the adults. Adults. More nose or less. Art. In yes. quotations, adults. Uh huh. <laughs> Followed by aerial acts, mm -hmm. literally, you know, people hanging from ropes in the gallery. They'll be doing a demonstration of that. That 
there'll be the beginning of the transition of That's the show. Different. Yeah. And then the show transitions into burlesque karaoke. Oh, we're doing a burlesque show here? It's yeah. That's funny. But <laughs> it's called burlesque karaoke. Okay. All right. So All right. the audience can um, come up with the songs yes. and uh, what they what they want to sing. And then there's a troupe of burlesque performers, mostly in drag, yes. that do the that improvise a show to go along with it. Okay, right on. So right on. that'll be a fun night. That'll definitely be a fun night. <laughs> yeah. I would say so. Uh, but we have, yeah, we have things like that mm -hmm. on a pretty regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, and there's always great events going on here. Yes. No matter yeah. what the season do, is. It, or... And it's not all 21 plus. Yes, of course. That's, that's the exception, actually. <laughs> yes. We have family programs yeah. every weekend here. Yeah. Uh, bring the family. There's there's something to do. Workshops, things like that. They're tailored for kids and, and their parents. Beautiful. Well, Ted, thanks so much for taking the time to sit down with me. This is Ted Hutter uh, here at the Museum of Flight here in Seattle, Washington, on the Flight Attendant Forum. I uh, hope you guys liked the episode today, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Ted, say goodbye to the people. Bye, people.